Before we get started with this episode of The Watch, just wanted to mention that The Ringer now has merch. Go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch where you can find shirts and hoodies. And a portion of the proceeds from each purchase will benefit Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Again, go to bitly.com slash ringer merch. Cop a hoodie for the earth. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor from TheRinger.com, and joining me on the other line, blinded by the UV light, it's Andy Greenwald! Hey, man. The chopsticks work well enough for me. (laughs) How's it going, man? It's good to talk to you. We we, we took a little little breather. Yeah, I I missed you on Thursday, you know? I had to have Uh a... it, it certainly seemed like you, you missed me a lot, I could tell. Look, we have to you supply know. people with content either way. This is the, the machine moves forward. I agree. And, and we both were, were traversing the continental U.S. this week. I spent time in our, our lovely hometown of Philadelphia, and you went, you went to the Windy City. Yeah, I went to Chicago for uh, a friend's birthday party, and it was, it was quite lovely. Uh, and shout out to the, a couple people said hi, said they were fans of the show. Asked why I was in Chicago, and I was like, "I'm, you know, I'm, I promise I'm not shooting Game of Thrones scenes behind your back." What, what would have been the weirdest answer you could have given them that is also a little bit plausible? Like you were doing the Ringer's oral history of shellac, or, <laughs> or, or, or no, actually, that's not even accurate. You're doing the 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 Ringer's oral history of the 22nd anniversary of the Loungejacks compilation benefit album. I was pre-posing like, for Dwayne Wade's statue that will be outside of the Bulls stadium. You were just going to hand out chance four hats, just hoping <laughs> that you could catch. Yeah. It's a nice town, though. It, that's, a, that's a great town. Yeah, lovely, lovely town. So, Andy, uh, we will talk, I think Thursday, when we do the re-up, it'll be a all Stranger Things, every, everything, like, recap of the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to, to knock this one out and talk about it. You know... I have to say that wasn't just small talk because during my time in in America, uh, which is to say any city other than the two where we we live and spend most of our time, um, I heard a lot of this. This is okay. Basically, let me do the the Thomas Friedman New York Times column version of our podcast, where I take three things I overheard on like SEPTA as evidence of something larger in the world. Right, right. But what? <laughs> I heard a lot of chatter about Stranger Things in Philadelphia. On SEPTA? People, I did hear a little on SEPTA. I, I took SEPTA down to the uh, the Phillies game, and I heard some people chattering about it. But also at a, at a restaurant, um, people... And it was interesting because it wasn't like... People weren't having a deep conversation about David Harbour's career or is Winona Ryder back or even like <laughs> what's the next hot thing I have to see it was just more like those are all our finished. takes man leave that to the pros I know exactly I was, about to, I was about to walk up to them I don't you know I don't walk up to where you work and knock the glasses off of your nose Benjamin Franklin impersonator um, <laughs> the road not taken am I right uh, no I but it was really just more like people talking about you know I, I don't know they were talking about the where there's that news van again and then they were like oh by the way have you heard about stranger things like i hear it's really good and the thing about it that i finally realized because we've spent a lot we spent a lot of time talking about um netflix the netflix effect and i used to write about it a bunch too and i often came at it from a negative angle because i was thinking about old school tv and i was thinking how it must be hard to be a netflix consumer and just have all this stuff dumped on you left right and center and maybe you know hard to find a way in or hard to remember that it exists but this was really myopic this is the kind of thinking ivory tower thinking chris that that thomas l friedman really pushes back on when he rides in cabs around the world this is an incredible because i'm take. talking about being able to keep up with stuff where they're like here's the here's the preview here's the you know the the screeners or whatever we need the deadline it's debuting this day but mm-hmm. the thing that i forget the thing that keeps these shows fresh but also keeps them low-key really successful like master of none um or stranger things it's just on the front page of your tv screen basically that's what i'm saying man i i I feel like i made that yeah i feel like really this is this is something i want to talk about much more with you were you about to say you feel like you made that point which is which is a polite way of saying (laughs) why don't you listen no 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 i think i i think i i can't ever remember whether i'm telling you something on the podcast or in our personal lives but I don't. I do feel like part of the reason why there was that wave of Stranger Things interest that weekend 
was similar to why people were giving making a murderer a chance over the holidays where it was just like oh well i'm home it's all it's right here like i'm looking at netflix and netflix has kind of lulled us all into well you come to netflix and you can watch a friend's repeat or you know big shorts there or whatever but you can when when those originals are there people will give it a test run and if you have something as immediately engaging as as stranger things is and is you can it's so instantly itself and you're like oh yeah okay that it's it's super engaging and i and you know again and again we're going to talk about this with the night of i just this eight episode thing is really the new skeleton key for a lot of stuff I agree about that. I, you know who I want to talk to then? I want to talk to who is the pen and pixel of Netflix in 2016? Like because doing it, the, the, the sort of card that goes there? Yeah. Who, who does the album covers? Because yeah. suddenly that becomes hugely important. Yeah. And Stranger Things, the, you know, the original title was Montauk, and then they couldn't film it or set it in Montauk because of uh, tax credits, and they, moved, they filmed in Atlanta. They set it in Indiana. The title grabs you it's a little bit odd and clunky when you first hear it but then it kind of works and it of course it especially works with the font you know and and the the image that they that they created on there they must put more time and effort into that than the major labels do on album covers anymore well Um, i think that what you're that's your window i i wonder whether or not there's a larger conversation to be had about netflix essentially replicating the sensation of watching network television in the 80s where People just sort of developed an affinity for the way they felt at the end of a Thursday night on NBC. So they knew for two hours they could just watch NBC or whatever. And now it's like people have an affinity for the way watching several episodes of television on Netflix makes them feel. So they go to Netflix for that sensation. And sometimes they find flaked or love and maybe it doesn't reach as big of an audience. And sometimes there's things like Stranger Things or House of Cards that becomes something of a phenomenon yeah i mean i think that their their business strategy is definitely to be the 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 landing the landing pad for people at the end of the day um and that was that's that's a different way of of phrasing something that we've discussed before which is that they are you know they're they're in the razor blade business they're in the content business and they the, the goal is to spend as much of as much funny money as they have which is a considerable amount on just bulking up and having everything all the time forever yeah so that you don't go elsewhere and that you know other people have written recently because i think more and more people are noticing that they have very few movies now um although i think they're getting the marvel movies now which is a big deal but they're they were losing a lot of the movies that they used to have and they're losing a lot of the deals um because amazon is paying to you know they're they're losing a lot of the the the, not the non-first run episodes that they used to be getting because hulu's grabbing them and amazon's grabbing them and um, networks are keeping them in house more. So yeah, they want to be the place where you could have everything. And I think they're also actively fighting the biggest impediment to watching TV in my life, which is just um, choice paralysis, just exhaustion. Like that, if you want to watch TV at the end of the day to to relax and to unwind, you don't want to spend five to twenty five minutes cycling through everything that's on Hulu, everything that's on Amazon, everything that's on Crackle. For Christ's sake, like, you just you just want to have something on. <laughs> Well, so um, I read this, uh, there was an article in the Times over the weekend, or maybe it was on Friday, and it was Jim Rutenberg in the New York Times, who's one of their media critics, and yep. he was writing about um, Comcast and the, and their enormous bid, you know, the, the, the amount of money that they've put into the Olympics, and how much of it is kind of Comcast treating the Olympics like this massive treasure chest of content to funnel into all their various things and now you know like there is actually uh an ad that's running with the olympics about comcast that is literally it just it just feels exactly like an evil corp ad and i would say that's what it was unless there was a fucking mr robot bit in the ad where it's like you know you can start a revolution and it's a it's a shot from mr robot and then it's a shot of the secret life of pets or whatever and then it's a shot of all these other universal nbc properties and mm-hmm. it's about how like you can experience all this whole world through your Xfinity box, and that Comcast's the next step of what they're trying to do is um, like create a guide to internet content, and and basically that that thing that I think people thought was going to happen ten years ago, where the internet was going to be in your cable box, it's just mm-hmm. this idea that you turn on your television and content is on there, and maybe it's coming from 
uh, NBC Sports Network uh, live streaming of volleyball, and maybe it's Mr. Robot, and maybe it's this, but that basically they're going to put up uh, parameters around what you're seeing and just funnel it all in. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting that it might be catching up to the possibility now because I would say like one or two Olympics ago um, when NBC started like programming the different things on all of their various affiliated networks, even th- even if they're not sports affiliated networks, you know, so like there'll be something on USA or CNBC or, or Bravo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I could roll with that. I understood that. Um, but and I, I don't know if it's just a question of volume, um, how many properties that company owns or the fact that I already feel or that I'm much old, you know I'm four to eight years older than the last time we had this conversation or the fact that I already feel underwater um no Michael Phelps from the pure number of choices that we have that I was just referring to in terms of entertainment on tonight but the thought of turning on the Olympics right now is exhausting to me and I don't because they, they're not making it easier like I wish I could say Maybe it's maybe I need to be like Special Agent Dom DiPiero and say, you know, into my magic all-seeing Foucauldian nightmare box and be like, <laughs> show me when the women's national team is playing soccer and then right. it'll just be on. But I don't want to go flipping for the NBC Sports Network when I want to finish Stranger Things and I, you know, I don't even know where the NBC Sports Network is. Is, is this am I being a luddite or am I or am I am I the voice of the common man here? You and I are definitely children of the 1984 Olympics and that if anything taught us how I think we're supposed to understand the Olympics. And I think NBC is still hanging on to that idea, which is that it's primetime television, that right. you go home after your, your school day or your work day and you make a dinner that you eat in front of the television and that you watch Carl Lewis and you watch Edwin Moses and you watch Matt Biondi or whoever, you know, I don't even know if he was in 84, who, but like, who was that woman who was the marathoner who came up late? Oh, remember that? Mary Decker Slaney. I was just talking oh, about she, her, when man. She, when she got tripped, right? She didn't Zola blame, Bud right? tripped her. Oh, Zola God, Bud, was, who was, was like... Just missed the cutoff to make Lethal Weapon 2's villain list. Yeah. Yo, that was low-key, almost as big of an, an event in my childhood as the Challenger. Like, and that she's, was... like, got that, that that iconic picture of her being like, oh, why me? Remember? Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember. I seared into my my immature brain that's yeah so that's like our concept of the olympics is basically as this thing that takes place from seven or eight o'clock to 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 11 o'clock every night for two weeks and they pick the best bits of what would happen during the day and night and run them and also it was in la so it helped helped for the viewing what nbc is doing now is kind of like a weird uh i think i think it's awful i mean i think what they're doing is basically withholding prime events from people there's like you know if you, you can sign up for the app but the app might be blacked out if they're if it's a certain event and like there's so much stuff on so many different channels and at the same time ap wire and most of twitter is like right. oh yeah you know gabby douglas came in third or whatever and you're like shit well now i like what am i gonna do like watch this later even though i know it's gonna happen or you know and and also like you could just stay off obviously twitter but that's not really like practical for my job so and it's not really practical for the way most people experience the world now yeah that's it's it's interesting so it it's it's almost like they're 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 stuck they're still straddling both both sides of it because by well, the because time i the think olympics that they're counting on people yeah. like my mom who's i i who's an olympic loves the olympics and i was like did you right. do you care that all this stuff has already happened or that it's been spoiled. And she's like, well, who's spoiling it for me? And exactly. I was like, uh, that's a good point. I guess I could. But, I mean, if you're not looking at your phone all day, all day long, it's very easy to right. get to I 8 mean, o'clock and not know whether or not Simone Biles won. It's probably worth putting that in a caveat, that we're having this conversation, and we were, we were pitching ourselves as the old people in this, but the truth is a lot the majority of the people who watch network television are older even than us and you know it's the same thing where we're 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 living through this election like second by second on twitter and on on poll tracker and on 538 um but the thing that is still true is that campaign ads bought on the evening news are still one of the safest and best investments a campaign can make even in 2016 because you know the majority of voters are the older people who watch the news so so and for and so for NBC to do this with the Olympics probably still makes sense, but it does sound like they're having they're wanting to have it both ways. Whereas maybe in four years or certainly in eight years, you will be able to have the nonstop stream in a curated way 
that is, you know, that, that, that please, I don't know if it pleases everyone, but it gives everyone the opportunity to do what they want to do. Well, it would be the equivalent of, to me, it's like, what if they, you know, you, it's an American holiday now to watch March Madness at work. You know what I mean? Like it's socially, it's just become acceptable that that first few days of the tournament is like everybody is basically like watching, watching TVs in the lunchroom or watching streams on right. their computer. Imagine if they were like, if if CBS was like, we're gonna show a double header of the best two games that's already happened at eight p.m. And people were like, okay, you know, I mean, there might be a selection of people who would be like, that would be quite convenient because I have a job that does not allow me to sit in a lunchroom or look at a computer <laughs> screen all day. And I would get to watch, you know, North Carolina play whoever at eight, eight o'clock. But that's just not part of the fun. And I think part of the fun of the Olympics, especially if it's in a relatively friendly time zone like Brazil, is the liveness and the we're all watching yeah. together and this is happeningness. Hmm. This is something that and that's something that I feel like is getting lost and i can't help but maybe because of the advertising or maybe because of everything else feel like it's like comcast trying to control people's experiences of things yeah well but that's also worth noting that that's what they were always doing but now we're bristling a little bit against it. yes right well we're mr robots you know we've we've experienced a few tastes of freedom and we've watched five episodes of season two of mr robot yeah man we're going to talk about that but but you you wanted to you wanted to switch to night of first right yeah let's take a quick break and we'll start talking about night of and mr robot Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to customers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a small, how-did-they-do-that sized box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500. Do not go broke trying to sleep. Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for my kings. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. That's the best part. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. So you don't have to go to the store anymore and be like what am i committing the next five years of my life to if you don't love it they'll pick it up they'll refund you everything casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit especially consider considering you're going to spend like a third of your life on it the casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price it combines springy latex supportive foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink just the right bounce time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015 what a great year free shipping and returns to us and canada you can try the casper for 100 nights risk-free at your own home if you don't love it they'll pick it up they'll refund you everything made in america as a special offer to listeners of the watch you can get 50 dollars towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com bspn and using offer code bspn terms and conditions apply Okay, Andy, uh, Night Of, episode five was on last night. Um, This show has kind of unequivocally for me has the belt. I don't know if... Wow. I thought uh, we agreed on Stranger Things. Well, I mean, but that's the thing we were saying about Stranger Things and the problem with Netflix shows is that obviously Stranger Things has sort of been a sensation, but on a week-to-week basis of episodic television, I think that Night Of continues to just go deeper and see wider and be more and more emotionally rewarding every week because you're enjoying that weekly experience uh i will enjoy is an interesting way to put it (laughs) okay uh you you are you are uh consumed uh um, i'm swallowing it how about that (laughs) you are swallowing it in big big chunks and then downing castor oil that that's how you're consuming it uh the thing i wanted to Uh, talk about this week and we've 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 consumption a lot of consumption of things this week and a lot of oils let's explore do you think that's a a metaphor for uh, america's dependence on the oil industry i do i do also eight balls just you know (laughs) easier going down they are coming out i guess um i wanted to talk a little bit about the acting on this show okay because um I, you know, we've talked a lot about this, the limited series and how limited series has become attractive to really good actors because they, you know, they, they're not going to be signed up for 
an unending amount of you know episodic ex- ex- uh, appearances. It works for Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson to put three or four really hard months into True Detective rather than come back every year for three or four months. Um, and so you're getting like a, a huge like wave of talent hitting television. And I think it's starting watching this show is I, I find the performance is almost uniformly wonderful. Um, and I, I think a lot of this has to do with the writing. Richard Price and Steve Zalian are incredible writers. But when we talk about great acting on television, you know, I, I realize that we're usually talking about the accumulation of of time with a character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we spend so much time with Kyle Chandler that he becomes Coach Taylor and we fall in love with Coach Taylor and people want Coach Taylor to be their husband or their dad or their coach or whatever. And that is almost the goal of television acting is to create these indelible fixtures almost Mm -hmm. um and erase Mm -hmm. the line between like what their performance is and what their persona is on the on the show but in an eight episode series and especially one like this one that would be very hard to do because you know this this show is is eight episodes but it's tracking three different plot lines it's tracking the prosecution the defense and the prisoner um and the prisoner's family um so the amount of emotion and the amount of depth that has to be conveyed economically on these shows uh, is, is is very it's like a, it's a huge amount and i keep getting especially over these last two episodes i keep finding myself like absolutely transfixed especially on repeat viewings by what is being conveyed in these small scenes and you know we haven't had we, we we've talked a little bit about this but that you know we always love noting when there's just like oh man that's 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 going to be a moment that they play in the, somebody's emmy reel or you mm-hmm. you'll look that up on youtube in five years and, you know, I think Say the Words to Me, Nasir, from episode four is definitely one of them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when he finally goes to, to Michael K. Williams to get the protection that he needs. And I, I thought that the prison waiting room, the, the sort of visit, visit, visiting room in prison where Totoro just says, you know, like, I, you got to do what you got to do. But like if they catch you and like the amount of empathy and heartbreak that he conveys in that line reading yes. is it, I, I watched it again, man. It was just like, it was really one of those, like just time slows down moments. I, I also think that's a sign of um, what good writing can do because the best kind of writing takes the, the harder choice or the surprising choice and then one ups it. And what I mean is, we're watching that scene and we're dying because we know what's happening. We know it's been foregrounded how hard this is for him physically. And he's you know not a hardened criminal yet, despite his abdomen kicking proficiency. Um, we also know because it's, you know, it's very well directed. Like the series has been, we know the stakes. We know the cross, the, the eye lines in the room, you know, the guards are watching, other people are watching. So we know, we feel the tension, you know, and as mm-hmm. someone who has struggled with the ability to swallow like Advil on occasion, this, <laughs> this made me sweat a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the, the obvious choice is to, well, the easy choice is just to quit out on that, you know, play the tension. Is he going to get caught? Is he not going to get caught? And, you know, walk away from there. The next choice would be, next obvious choice would be have him get caught or have Turturro do something or interject or say something. The best choice and the one most consistent with these characters. And in this case also, I found it to be, you know, it's surprising in the moment, but then you sort of feel that it's earned because you know, these people is exactly how it played out. And we're this whole, you, you you know, you were talking for a minute. I've been talking for two minutes all about basically one line of dialogue. Yeah. And it's Turturro saying what you said, where he's, he, he, calls him on he knew what was going on the whole time because it was obvious but as you said he had empathy for him and that and that elevates the show it elevates the scene and it takes a great performance to do it and and not just one performance everyone in that scene is great i think and i think the woman who plays chandra is great too you know it's really it's these little moments when people can excel in the midst of an ensemble and and the only thing i push back on is i don't think that line's going on anyone's emmy reel it's just it's it's just the line that it should you know yes, what I mean? Right. Like, an Emmy reel is is, is going to be something. These these things are going to be overlooked. Right. Um, the Emmy reel will happen in the last episode or two. Right. Um, in all but, but you know, they also don't even have to. The economy, I think, is key too because the 
like the guys that they cast to play the the dudes who co-own the taxi medallion with his father yeah are so compelling um you know they look interesting they they have gravity on screen and it explained it gives us so much about this world um you know with the one guy I, I i don't know if he's russian or eastern european but he is in on this cab business and thus in on the life in on their the family lives of these um pakistani guys well it's also and, the lines between friendship and obligation and yes. self-interest i mean those guys are very are relatively kind to him all things sure. being equal um you know the the swallowing scene there's a lot being made about the eczema which i think is you know um <laughs> obviously a choice uh for the show and it, it's they they really like there, I think obviously it's building towards something. I, I wouldn't have spent so much time on it if not. But um, the the eczema, the swallowing, um, I obviously like the, you can tell the physical transformation that Riz Ahmed's character mm-hmm. is going through. Um, and I was thinking about this with you know like even the cat and and everything else. That the underlying thing that this show is also studying, aside from the criminal justice system, is everything that we have to do to survive day to day especially in a place like new york but generally anywhere and you know you made a joke about swallowing an advil but you think about um you know john turturro trading legal work for sex to satisfy his urges because he's so disgusted with himself that he can't really probably put himself forward to date you know and um just in general i mean like people we live in a world where people like take painkillers to get through their day and take sleeping pills to go to sleep at night and take uh like anti-anxiety medication to get through situations that are stressful and everything that people have to go through in their adult lives to kind of increasingly prop up their their crumbling bodies and how in some ways that in, in the relationship between that and the way in which these systems prop up the cr- crumbling new york city uh that kind of depth in, in, in writing and the, the connections that the writing is making for me now is is really uh, quite masterful. I mean, it's quite and it's quite unique in, in television these days. When you were talking about when you started by saying you wanted to talk about the acting, I, I, I thought you were going to go briefly in another direction because I thought you were going to be I thought maybe you were as curious as I was about the nature of the casting call for the stunt dong. Um, in the uh, autopsy scene. And my thought is this. I wonder if the casting director, you know, basically has you know, some, clearly someone who's worked for HBO before. And, you know, there's this wonderful relationship that, that, that HBO has with its, with, its, um, with its extended family of supporting actors. And, you know, we saw, we saw our man Bodhi from The Wire back this week. Um, we saw Max Casella last week. So my question to you is, when there was one more plum part left, although we didn't actually see the plums, do you think, do you think like Paul Ben Victor got a call or like Wendell Pierce got a call where they're yeah, like, right, look, right. look, look, family, like were any of the Schreiber we, brothers available? <laughs> right. I'm like, we want, we want to make you a part of this because this is really, this is, this is old home week, you know, like everyone's involved and they're like, okay, cool. Like what, what do I have to do? Like record executive, mafioso, cop. And they're like, well you're going to be a corpse. And it's like, Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've done that. That seems like an easy day at the office. <laughs> it's like, so what, what am I gonna have to do? Will I have a, you know, gross gunshot wound or anything? It's like, really? No, just Jeannie Berlin is going to drop a manila folder on your dick. Like, is that, <laughs> is that cool? <laughs> now, uh, when we do our like, you know, backstage podcast, like inside the actor studio of like the working New York actor, we could have people on who are just like, that would be a great Tuesday, you know, to get that part. <laughs> But, 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 but God, God bless him. You know, like people, people got to work. People got to work. Um, this, this episode, uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think of this. I'm curious what people who've been watching the show think. I am, I want to preface this by saying I am, my, my feelings about the show have not changed at all. I'm in no way out on it or anything, but this was the episode that I felt like was, it's inevitable. And I knew it was coming. This was the pivot episode for me. This is when yeah, it, I, I, I kind of felt like this was... Yeah, go ahead. I know exactly what you're going to say. This is the episode where it went from being, you know, this granular, um, immersive uh, 
dis- disquieting um, deep dive into procedure and into this world and the, you know, the chip paint of the, of, the, of the precinct building and Rikers, this is when it pivoted into being a TV show or began the pivot. And that's fine because mm-hmm. it's a TV show. But this was the one where, you know, the, the, they, they, because it's eight episodes, the amount of time they could just spend doing the slow sink in was probably capped at, at half the series, right? And I would even argue that the first episode is so supercharged with, in, with insanity and plot that, that it that almost doesn't count. It's almost like two, three, four was the sink in. This is the one where, you know, the heroic defense attorneys team up. This is the one where our hero reveals new depths. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, he suddenly becomes in many ways a different guy. And it you can't say it happened overnight, but in, essentially it kind of did. Um, he, you know, the, the Michael K. Williams character is kind of Superman of prison in a way. Um, and, and a lot, you know, just his complete dominance over everything started to feel a little bit strong for me. Yeah. Um, so, and then the, inter- and then John Turturro just playing hero ball, you know, like basically tracking down a dude named Dwayne Reed, um, yeah. which if you live in New York and that's your name, you should change your name. You're like, you should change your name. You should change your name. You should change your name to CVS because that is a lot less common in this city. Um, but do but you know what I mean? I, I, don't, I hope this isn't coming across as a, as a necessarily criticism. In fact, it's sort of interesting just from a, just from a structural point of view. To, to well, know, it's, it, it's funny you it's should different. mention it because I was, I was thinking about True Detective season one. And this is right around the, se- the episode in that. I know you obviously had mixed feelings about that in the sense that you didn't like it. Um, but... <laughs> Around episode six is where Russ Cole turns into super detective. Uh, and kind of like, so for, for five episodes culminating with that episode, I think season episode five is the one where it's three different timelines collapsing in on each other. It's the 95, yep. 2002, 2012 timelines all being shot at the same time. In the next episode, it's back in 2002, but it's like when Russ puts together, starts to put everything together. And then, it you know, going towards the Carcosa finale. And yeah, I feel like in, on, on, a, on a lighter, on a, on a slightly less, like, you know, hyperbolic level, that's what's going to happen here, is that these guys, they're going to have mm-hmm. to solve the case, quote-unquote, you know? It, it, and it that's will, okay. Because it's a TV show. Yeah, yeah. It's fine, yeah. and it always was. I mean, you know, the, Fisher Stevens is having, he hasn't had this much fun since Short Circuit 2, but pharmacists don't talk like that. You know what I mean? No. Like. The rescuing the cat—that's that's that's gilding the lily. Like there, there are these little details, but that's what makes it fun. Um, I, you know, the thing about True Detective is a worthwhile comparison, I think, because because I didn't because I didn't like the deep dive nonsense, and I say nonsense with affection because I like the nonsense in the Night of a lot. Um, my favorite episode of True Detective season one was episode six, which was the second to last one, where they were just cops. Yeah, where they just. We're on the same team, and it was basically, you know, a, a, a mismatched buddy cop. Not comedy, but it was. It a wasn't show. so much about like he's good and I'm bad, but I'm bad and he's and, good kind of stuff. And it, it wasn't was like, just like reveries on heat lightning and the nature of time. It was just like these are you know top notch actors being shot beautifully, just solving a crime, and that was fine. Whereas I've liked it's almost the inverse of this, where I like everything else so much, I'm I'm loath to move into the next phase of it. Do you um, think that? Because, it's, uh, but, Oh, go ahead. But that said, let me. The other thing about this episode that was awesome and and underrated and sort of lost in a lot of the rest of it is that the scene where Bill Camp just just detectives some shit. Was oh awesome. yeah, the Sharpie scene. The Sharpie scene, like that. Yeah. That is just. I loved it. Also, I it was. I, it was such a. Um, I I thought that the, I know that's going to sound weird because he's plotting a murder happening, but looking at him doing that with the map was just such a like a tactile love letter to new york city like these bridges and these streets and these train lines and the you know like all this stuff that inner that these little connections that happen it, i was like oh man like what a completely unique place um to, watching him do that to, uh, so to be this fair is, a kid from queens who's told in the west village to go to the beach is not going to the bronx <laughs> just like i feel like he should he probably should have been arrested anyway at that point. we never really dove into the just all the the transportation mistakes he made that night part of he this is of uh, this this does flip towards robot though for me um and we can we can kind of spin it from there 
because one of the things I was thinking about with Robot is um, the non-show, the, the, the sort of cloud that hangs around the show that's not the show's fault and not anything wrong with the actual story of the show, which is the understanding that this is season two, there could be a however season X, Y, Z, and also that they have kind of um, come up with this visual language for the show. Uh, where pretty much even the most mundane interaction between characters has to take place in this hyper-stylized world. Mm -hmm. And whether or not... People have like, talked about the, the running time of the episodes or whatever. I mean, I don't think that that... I think that... I wonder whether or not people are also responding to... I'm not sure where to look here or I'm not sure how to manage my emotional arc with these episodes because it's such a distinctive point of view that you wind up like spent this many hours within that world is almost taxing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another thing that is a potential byproduct of Sam directing every episode because everything it is, it is so completely hermetically sealed in terms of aesthetic this year. Um, I find it, you know, I, I find that really engaging because it's always really, really exciting to look at, even when Absolutely. I find yeah. find it a little draggy, like last week. I mean, I found this week to be, um, and when I say this week, I mean, we're talking about last Wednesday's episode, which we didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, I found it a, a huge improvement on the previous week. It, and not only that, it actually made me feel a lot more confident about the show in general because it made me feel like the the real culprit that dragged down that episode was what I, I think it's, it's two part. I, th I think part one is what I, what I suspected, which is that, you know, he really is making a 10, 12 hour movie this year. And if it breaks, when you cut up, when you slice up the pie, if one of the slices is a little misshapen, that's just the way it's going to slice. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other part of it, and it'll be interesting, and I have no inside knowledge of this. It's just something I'm generally curious about. Um, you have to bring in the larger, lens the larger filter for the context of the show which is you know he had his idea for this the show based on a screenplay he had written which meant that he went into the show having an idea of a beginning middle and end and obviously there's a lot of wiggle room between that and places to expand it and shorten it and change it but between season one and season two usa completely remade itself in the image of the show went all in mr robot is is the lodestar for for the network now you know if if going into the season and he's never said this to going into season one and Sam's never said this to me. I don't know if he said it in any context, but like he hasn't maybe said he thought, either. I can't believe they're letting me get away with this. We're, if we're lucky, we'll get three seasons to tell this story. Um, USA is, doesn't want three seasons of the show. USA wants five plus seasons of the show. So, and again, I don't know that I would assume so because networks always want to monetize their, you know, it's an Emmy nominated show and USA never really had those. So, what we might be seeing is something very familiar from other shows, which is figuring out the pace of unspooling what's left in addition to adding things that maybe weren't there before. So it's a feeling of disorientation, not unlike what Elliot himself is feeling in that we don't, we don't know where we are in the story anymore. Right. And in the first season, which was really about one action we did. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. That is, that is, I think that that's sort of what I was getting at. I, you know, I, I happen to really enjoy Sam's filmmaking and I, I really enjoy the the music cues and the atmosphere and the 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 obvious like homages homages that he's making to different filmmakers with different shots um but I think that's what you're what you're getting at about the the roadmap not being as clear to take away the element of surprise that happened when that show came on and just how it felt like it was basically coming out of nowhere the the lack of it's it's like those mid seasons of Lost where you're like, what are we doing? Now we're now we're doing this, okay? Like, yeah, and and you have to just get your head around it. Yeah, and I think you also have to unlearn some things too, if you can, about what we expect from narrative TV and what we expect from answers, because you know, you and I had a long talk about the previous week's episode, um, which was which was critical about about aspects of it, and I completely forgot to mention the fact that this that episode began with an insane invented like 80s VHS horror movie about the slaughter of the bourgeoisie. Like that is such a weird idea. And they actually made this short film and they put it out there and that's where the Mr. Robot mask comes from. I'm like, 
I don't care if it's 75 minutes. I'll take that in my, in my mainstream entertainment diet. Um, similarly, this week's episode, they fucked around and went to China. Like, they didn't really film it in China, but they did a pretty good job faking it and making me feel like they were, they just, you know, took a jet plane off of, away from the script, away from expectation, um, in a way that was very, very disorienting. And they gave B.D. Wong more to do. Um, they gave Grace, uh, they gave, yeah. they gave Grace Gummer more to do. I thought she was really good in this episode. She was really and, good. I li- the clock, like, the... The scene with the clocks and the way that that scene played out, and also just the fact that those two characters who who could be very one dimensional if you let them got to be be just a little bit more filled out. I thought was great, and I was that was actually like you know you're really like you're like what is happening? Are we this is this is this scene really happening? And that is that is the hardest one of the hardest things to do is to string people along, and if you've got people basically being like is this really happening the way I'm seeing it or the way these characters are seeing it? That's such a hard thing to represent on screen. It is. And, and I, I think, um, and also the shootout at the end was just so, um, it was shot in a way that was so surprising and, and unsettling. It was really thrilling. It blacked out. Like that's the other advantage of being able to, to, to basically call your shot and carve up your pie the way you want. Sometimes you get it, you get the slice in a really good place that keeps people on edge um, as they did this week. And, and, I think going away from this episode, one concern and one positive for what, where we are going forward, because the truth is we don't know where we are. But the concern, one concern I have is, and you mentioned Lost. Here's the thing with Lost. As soon as you start to answer mysteries, they become less interesting. There's almost no way to, to, to make, you know, once something becomes concrete, it, it loses the, the sort of the spongy possibility that makes watching TV or engaging with this stuff fun. So, if we really are down to this place where, where um, Philip Price and White, well, White Rose's real identity, both of whom have public faces, uh, very prominent faces in government and in business, but seem to be doing something very um, uh, uh, Machiavellian on the sly. If we're really heading to a place where it's a global conspiracy, well, you know, that's ultimately limiting because it's not as exciting as what we hoped or what we imagined. Um, Going back to what I said before, if there really are four seasons left, then I bet we're going someplace else after that. So yeah, probably I wouldn't be right. too worried. The positive I have going into it was I was really happy to see Elliot's altruism return. Um, you remember? remember yeah, that was a major part of the first season. Yeah. Yes. And we you, thought we it was going to be a case of the week kind of thing. Exactly right. The first episode has him hacking the coffee shop owner who's a pedophile. And, and I remember, I think I wrote this in the review or we talked about it on the podcast, like, we were like, oh, how clever, because, you know, this, this will fit right in on USA because there's something bigger, more artistic going on, but there's a case of the week procedural element to the show. He never did that again. That was just the yeah. first week. So to, to remind us that even though the Mr. Robot character seems to be responsible for the hack, the idea of, like, saving the world or saving people is just is a hardwired into Elliot, even if it gets him beat up. Um, you know, do did, did, like, I, I, did, do you think Ray is like surprised if someone looked at his website? No, I, I, I think that the the Ray. What was the name of the drug dealer in the first season? Oh God, I, you know, I was just thinking about this last night. Um, I don't remember, but I'll look it up while you talk. I was thinking about whether or not like that guy, whether whether or not Ray's character was like a fitting antagonist, and um, you know, I think that there's like a good. It's a it's Vera. That it's was the guy's name. It's a good sort of metaphor for the internet, where it's just like, here's this thing, but don't look too hard. Um, and I, it's a it's a good it's a good sort of moment for Elliot to be like, I have so much power, and it's all about like whether or not like the power will ultimately corrupt me. And you look at the dark net and what people are using it for. It's to mm-hmm. buy and sell Molly and AK forty sevens. Um, that's not, you know, that's a very, and it's, you're like, what you're saying is right. It's like Elliot needs to find the like sort of moral, the, the, the true North that he, that he has inside of him. And that's been dulled for a long time, mostly by addiction and insanity. But also he keeps, he keeps opening doors. The, you know, the, the fundamental idea of a hacker is that you break down these doors, um, that, that you feel are arbitrary or you feel are unfair he talks about, you know, the, the power he felt in doing that in his first hack in the library. And in the Vera plotline in that incredible episode from season one that ended with the, with the, the loss of Shayla, who I, I still miss on the show, uh, 
he literally opened every door in a prison and look what came running out. Yeah, right. Um, right. This idea that you can you can let you can open Pandora's box but then control what you take out of it and how it's used is is ridiculous. Um and you know it he he I, I like it when the show steers into that that contradiction and let's let's Rami Malek play it. Um and I like the fact that this week didn't because these other things were happening there really wasn't that much time to think about, oh, guess what? He's really in prison this whole time, you know, yeah. because I, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted by that. Yeah. Well, I want to keep you... Wanna, I don't want you to be tired. say something about the 24 hours you spent last week waiting for Frank Ocean to release an album? You know what? I was, I was blissfully, professionally, and personally not obligated to do that. Um, other people were handling that, and also Frank's just one of those guys that I like a, a quite a bit, but don't feel the need to be uh right there when the rockets take off you know like i can just watch the i'm like my mom with the olympics with frank ocean just let me know when it happened you (laughs) know um i thought it was very interesting that we have now turned it was it kind of reminded me of the way people do like nba free agency and the trade deadlines the way we do it where it's basically you create a huge narrative around something that hasn't happened um, and the ramification it's it's everything but the thing more or less and frank is definitely responsible like the, any idea that where it's like you're you're saying like oh fuck frank's fans for like wanting his album i mean he's building speakers or whatever he's building on apple te- apple music you know what i mean like it's there's obviously some signal to be interested in him um but it's interesting it, it was fascinating to me to see the kind of whole surprise album release gambit blow up on itself a little bit um yeah where would you you, out of like one to ten how how much are you anticipating boys don't cry i gotta be honest like i I don't even know if i rate like because i just i'll be interested in hearing it when i hear it i i don't i think that he but you don't feel that way about pablo what like you with Pablo, you were like, I, "Where's the feed? Do you have?" The oh, I was rip? a thirty. I was a yeah, I was a thirty. Exactly. Out of 10. I mean, like, so it does exist. It's just not existing with Frank. Oh, that's what I mean. What I mean yeah. is, I think that he is unquestionably an enormous talent and a fascinating talent. And I, you know, and I think that those two things are almost equal in this in this current landscape and in the conversation we're having because people want to talk about him and they are interested in him because of what he represents and what he could be as much as what he is and it's weird to relate it to the thing I was just saying about Mr. Robot, but it's it, here it is because as long as he doesn't release this album, everyone will be in love with it, you know, until it becomes a thing. And that thing will have to be wrestled with, not just in the 10 minutes after it goes live on Apple music or whatever, but in the, you know, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months afterwards. I, I really, really like channel orange a lot. I don't listen to it very often. Um, and I almost want to maintain my low expectations because I want to be, surprised and entertained by what he releases and not pre-disappointed by it because people are out there saying that he's going to save R&B or he's going to, you know, he's a vanguard of a new kind of mainstream meets indie um, uh, African-American music and that he's challenging norms of sexuality and certainly of punctuality and just, it's got to be a record too, man. It's got to be a record. But the day that it is released, it is not going to be a record. There's no way. Whereas, the thing about, you know, sorry, literally everyone who's listening, and if you were, didn't want to drink today, but you would insist on doing the drinking game, I'm going to say Kanye. Uh, the thing about Kanye that makes him uniquely suited to these times is that Pablo was a in, insane artistic statement, but it was also an artistic statement tailor-made to be uh, ripped apart and celebrated on day one, and then he didn't stop making it after day one. You know, It was a living <laughs> organism. Um, in a way that was totally unique and, and actually f- he always meets the hype. And I don't mean that he meets it in terms of he gives people what they want, but he bring he, he the meets spectacle it head is on there. Yeah, right. And, and wrestles with it. And, and everything we know about Frank Ocean, he does not seem to even want to, to grab that spotlight. So, so I don't know. I mean, do, are people like getting salty about it? Do you think it's going to affect Yeah, I think people were salty. I think that it was supposed to be out a couple of, you know, last Tuesday or whatever, and then the New York Times ran a piece that said it was coming out Friday, and it didn't come out Friday, and now it's Monday again, and it's still not out. And The paper of record. I know. I mean, I, and uh, I think that I think that that's... 
you know, if Kanye had showed up, I, 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 if Kanye had showed up at MSG and played two Pablo songs and done a fashion show, I think people would have been salty. But like you said, like he, it may not always be what you want, but it is always a spectacle. And it, he's somebody who can actually, it's like make like a Michael Bay who's like, the movie is always going to go bang really loud. And that's why yeah. it deserves to come out July 4th. You know, um, right. it, that's not necessarily a good thing for our culture, but it is a good thing for the expectations that are set up. And but I think that also what you're seeing with the streaming wars and with like these companies need to, I mean, I'm really like going up against the, the major corporations today, but like <laughs> with are. these companies need to drive interest in their product by creating a sense of urgency about coming to the platform. Right, you have to come yeah. to Apple because Frank Ocean's going to build speakers and play the fucking new version of Intervisions in your brain. And if that doesn't happen, I do think that people are going to be like, "What the fuck?" Just let me know when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. I I think you. I'm going back to title. Let me know what's up. <laughs> well, Rick Ross is doing Doug! a 10 year anniversary port port yeah. of my port of Miami. Uh, concert because the one thing everyone loves most about rick ross is his his debut album port of miami um (laughs) no but i I think you're hitting at something that is that is that is noteworthy in in the in the 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 arc of the record industry or whatever we call it now which is we went from scheduled release dates to records to surprises to scheduled surprises and that's never going to work out for anybody like in an old economy if Frank Ocean didn't release an album for one year, two year, four years, five years, like there would be a piece in random notes about it in Rolling Stone, like what's up with him? Or you'd see a picture of yeah, him right. or people would be talking about it. But when he finished that album, like like Radiohead did with, with Kid A, there would be a plan put in place that suited the material and it would be brought to people in a manner that suited it. Um, the, the, the idea of a scheduled surprise just to get that, 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 that sweet, that sweet, uh, 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 you know, trending topic hit. I, I don't think it works for everybody, and I think we're about to find that out. Well, maybe by the time we do the re-up, it will be out. Who knows? Who knows, man? Maybe by the time you we do what? the re-up, Katie Ledecky yeah, I, will have uh, won nine golds, but I don't know. Oh, she, I, sorry. I don't know when it's on. She did. She did. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was just looking at rate. I was just looking at Ray's dark web, and it it, it spoiled Good. the Olympics for me. You were you were on, you were you were buying some ketamine. And there was and there was weirdly Decky's Olympic results. Weirdly, China China won everything according to Ray's website. So <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, all right, uh, we'll be back Thursday talking Stranger Things. Until then, Andy, thank you so much. Great job, Redski. <laughs> <laughs>